You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So we've been in a series through 1 John, and I'm taking a little bit of a break today uh, because we started uh, last night. We had our Love and Respect Night, had a wonderful dinner. Thank you to everybody who, who set up. I will say, guys, after we had the men's group yesterday, I had to get the ladies to kind of come and touch things up a little bit. So ladies, you need to know that as we were laying out our one grid, like how to set the tables and what it looked like was what would the women say? What would our wives say, right? It was kind of WWWD, if you will, you know, and uh, what would they do? And so, but anyway, it was a good time. And last night, um, as we kicked off with the video, had a very nice dinner, uh, just such good conversation around the, uh, around the room. So this morning, I want to take the, the, the morning teaching time, and I want us to talk about what marriage is all about. So uh, for those of you who are single in the room, um, I, I want you to know there's going to be some things in here to be helpful for you. Maybe processing your past if you've been married before and either divorced or widowed. Um, if you haven't been married yet, then this is also to help you to, uh, if you're thinking about it in the future as well, to just think about things. And uh, you're going to see in a minute that it's, it's really not all about marriage anyway. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 24. Uh, one of the things that was shared last night that was just so helpful uh, Hollywood basically gives us such unrealistic expectations of what a relationship should look like. How many of you like chick flicks? You, you know what a chick flick is, right? I don't have to define that. How many of you li literally like, okay, I'm looking for the guys in the room. No, you got to hold the hands up. I, there's a couple, I'll stick my hand halfway up. There's a few chick flicks that like I'm kind of down with, okay, that they're okay. Um, but they're usually, you know, they're usually like Zorro, you know. You know, Batman has a girlfriend, doesn't he? No, he, you know, no, he really doesn't. Who does? Um, Iron Man does, I guess, kind of eventually. But anyway, um, Hollywood puts such expectations in our brains that, you know, you're supposed to meet somebody who's just perfectly compatible with you, kind of like a, a puzzle piece. You put a puzzle piece together, there's only one piece in that whole box that can possibly fit with you. And, and then if you find that right piece, you're going to be happy your entire life, and you're going to be completely fulfilled, and everything's going to be wonderful. And, and we all realize it's not going to be perfect, but we really do kind of expect it to be 99% good. And it was so encouraging just last night to be reminded that, you know, when the, we look at what the Bible really tells us, it's more like 80-20. If marriage is working really well, it's 80% good, and it's 20%, yeah, kind of not so good. Maybe even at times a little bit stinky. And it's okay. Congratulations. You're 98.6. Your marriage is normal. Your relationship is okay. And, and the reason why that is so important for us to know is, is the world around us tells us that, you know, the first time we have that, that big fight or that stuff is going on, we begin getting that little voice in our head like, maybe I made a mistake. Like, I didn't know he was like this. You know, I, wow. And, and it begins eroding away. And the world tells us that, well, you shouldn't stand for that. You just need to... Yeah, what's going to make it better is, is you just need to bail and just for the sake of the kids and everybody else just need to bail. And I love the illustration. You know, if you're, a, if you're in the Navy on a ship and a storm comes 
And the first storm that hits, you don't say, whoa, there's a storm. I better, get, I better jump overboard. This is really bad. I mean, that's dumb, right? You know your only hope is to, it doesn't matter if it's a little storm or if it's a, you know, a full-blown hurricane that you've sailed into, you're battening down the hatches and doing everything you can to just hold on and make it through. And that's really what our marriages should ultimately be like. There are going to be storms after storms that come through our lives. And uh, in the Love and Respect series that we're walking through is just so uh, amazingly helpful and unpacks those truths of God's Word in a, a, a rich and, and a much more um, uh, uh, abiding way, I guess. So I want to encourage you, if you missed last night and you didn't sign up for the series, we're going to be every Sunday night for the next about nine weeks. Uh, and if you didn't jump in on that, would you please see Dan or me afterwards? Because we'd love for you to jump in. You're only missed one video, and it's going to continue to unpack. In fact, tonight's just going to be talking about the same stuff, just a little bit deeper. So really do want to invite you back in. So that's my intro to get us thinking about marriage this morning. So in Genesis chapter 24, there's some great love stories in the Bible. This one might be a little unique. This wasn't a blind date that we're about to see. This was more like a blind marriage. So let me tee this up. Abraham has been called by God, and God called him and his wife Sarai, in fact, before she was Sarah, and before he was Abraham, he was Abram, and he told them to leave their homeland. And he said, I'm going to show you a place. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm just going to kind of help you know how to get there. God does that in life so much. He's not going to tell you where you're going to be in 10 years from now. He's just telling you, you just trust me and keep taking steps. And he said, because Abram, I'm going to bless you. And in you, all the families and nations and the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham is the, the patriarch. The, Abraham and Sarah are the, 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 the family, husband and wife, that out of his bloodline comes Jesus, and out of his bloodline, down through those generations, that God was preparing the world to send his Savior, that ultimately every nation and tribe and language and tongue and culture and people could know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so he called Abraham out of that land, and he had him walk all through what today we know as Palestine, and as a commitment as a belief in the promise of God that was coming. But there was one problem. Abraham was an old man and his wife was an old woman. And uh, they were both older than I think every one of us in here. All right. So you aren't there yet. Um, you're all young compared to them. And Abraham's just, he couldn't, they didn't have any kids. It's kind of hard to be a father of a major nation when you don't have any kids. It just kind of works that way, you know. And so finally God got around. He was teaching them faith and they had one son named Isaac. And we could unpack the story after story, and it's so critical to ultimately to understand that part and how it fits in with the gospel of Jesus. So this is their son, Isaac. Fast forward in the story. Isaac is now a grown man. Abraham is about to die. And Abraham brings in, calls in his most faithful steward, his servant. And in the custom of that day, he made this guy put his hand underneath Abraham's thigh. That's a little weird. But that would be kind of like putting your hand on the Bible and swearing, you know, do you solemnly swear to do what I tell you? And he says, I want you to go back to my homeland and find a wife for my son. Don't you dare take a woman from around these group of people that we are because they were idol worshipers. He said, you go back to my homeland. Don't you take my son there because God said he was going to give my family this. You go find a woman there and you bring her back here. Now, when you're a trusted servant and you've got to go find a wife for somebody, 
Like, are you kidding me? How? What if? Who in the, what woman in the right mind am I going to walk up to and say, hey, you need to come with me and marry this guy that you never met before? I mean, how many of you ladies would do that deal, right? It would take a pretty big gift to, for you to do that. I mean, there's no Facebook. You can't even go online and stalk. There's no, you know, dating service online that you can at least see a profile. Well, I don't know if that's a real picture or not. Maybe, you know. I mean, sight unseen. And so the servant goes off to find, you know, the homeland to find uh, a wife. Isaac. And that's where we pick up the story. So read with me, if you will. We're going to read, I don't know, 10 or 15 verses. Amazing story. In verse 10 of Genesis chapter 24, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels, it's a caravan, and he departed. This is quite a journey, many, many days, and taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. He was crossing through the desert. Camels are the animal of choice. There was a caravan. It would be normal. And he goes to the well because he knows that's the time where the eligible bachelorettes are going to be coming to bring water. He was a really smart guy. And we'll talk, unpack a little bit about this in a second. And he says in verse 12, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He's like, God, help me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But would you show? We have to realize there's more than just Isaac having a wife and living happily ever after. Our salvation is hinging in this moment. There is a whole, everything of the sweeping history of salvation and redemption in this moment. And they're, in human terms, at risk of there being a break in the line of what God was doing. And so he calls out to God, God, would you show me favor? And so he prays and trusts God. And in verse 13 he says, Behold, I'm standing by a spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I'll water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my servant. Crazy prayer. God, all these women are coming. How do I know which one I should ask and see if there's a possibility here and bring home? God, I'm thirsty. Would you, the woman that I asked for some water, would this be a sign that the woman who looks and without even me asking, saying, I'll be glad to give you some water. And by the way, I'll give water for all your camels too. Let her be the one. I want you to realize that's, that's nothing short of a miracle. I mean... She basically would have to say, okay, take the jar, you know, the, the, the pot of water, which would have had some weight to it alone. I don't know how big. Let's say it was maybe five gallons, okay? Every gallon is like eight pounds, right? So maybe she's carrying 40 pounds of water. I mean, she's bringing the well is outside of the city. She's carrying water, which was normal for that time, from there back to town, back into her home, because her whole family had the needs for cooking and washing and all of that. So this would have been a big deal. So she lowers the water down, gives him water, and freely says, I'll be glad to water your camels too. They just crossed the desert. There's 10 of them. Do you know how much 
water a camel drinks? I didn't know the answer to that either, but I looked it up. You know what the answer is? 20 to 30 gallons, depending on who you look, uh, who, who you answer. So do the math. That's 200 to 300 gallons at eight pounds a gallon. She just volunteered to draw 1,600 pounds of water. So even if she is carrying 10 gallons at a clip, 80 pounds, she just volunteered to do 200 trips from where they're sitting now down into this well, back up the stairs, up and down 200 times, 80 pounds a clip. And she was only carrying 40 pounds, she just agreed to do it 160 pounds, 60 pounds. How many of you ladies would have done that? How many would you do that for your husbands now, those of you that are married? No way. You'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. You go find a new wife if that's what you want me to do. I mean, you would be drawing some lines in the sand, right? So this is absolutely above and beyond. I mean, we're in New York. He would, if, if she had done this in New York, the best at most he would have gotten let you drink out of my jar. You're nuts. I don't know what disease you've got. Or, oh, I'll pour, if you got a cup, I'll pour, I'll pour a little of my water out for you. Fine. You want me to water your camels? Are you, what are you high on? What are you, nuts? I'm not going to do that. And she went and did it. Look what happens in folds. The story unfolds. Before he had finished speaking, he's talking. Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, which means she was of Abraham's family, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She was a virgin. She went down to the spring, walked down the steps or down into where the water was, we don't really know, and filled her jar and came back up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly, which would have been a term of respect in that day, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand, quickly, without even batting an eye, and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. Now, let's watch this. this. This is an amazing story. And the man gazed at her in silence. I would be in awe, too. I'm like, who in the world? What kind of woman does this? Oh, my goodness. He gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I want to talk to you this morning about making the most of your marriage. And the story picks up from there. She ends up going with with him, sight unseen, committing herself to, to Isaac. An amazing, amazing, amazing story. But I want us this morning, there's three things that we can glean. To be honest with you, there's probably 12 or 15 things. And I thought, I'm not about to share a 12 or 15 point sermon, but there's three things I want us to get out of this this morning about how to make the most of your marriage. And I'm saying it that way is that, you know, none of, no relationship, whether you're married or not, if you're if you get married in the future, you should know going into it that it's not going to be perfect. And there are times that you need to say, we're just going to we're going to make the most of this. And if you are have a good marriage, our, our goal in life should be to maximize the most of what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives 
and touching the world while we are here together. So first thing, if you need to know, if you're going to make the most of your, of your marriage, to, to maximize that, if you will, is that you need to value character. You need to value character. How do you go about finding a wife for somebody else? I mean, that's a daunting task. I don't even have the guts to do that as a dad. Although as my kids got older, I thought, wow, this arranged marriage thing is starting to look a whole lot more attractive, you know? Anybody, any parents with me on that one? You know, and then you're like, yeah, that's not gonna work very well. It's probably okay to let it be the, the, the normal right way for us anyway. But, but you need to value character. Rebecca was an amazing woman. There is so much that this man knew about her before he even said hello to her. One, it was the time of day where the woman drew water. They didn't come out at the heat of the day. It was normal. He went to where the ladies would have, have come. That's a pretty smart man. Today, maybe he was hanging out on a dating app. I don't know. But he knew so much more than what a dating app said because she wasn't telling him. She told him a lot about herself without saying anything. She was already faithful and reliable with her family. She wasn't just blowing her family off, living a wanton life, going wherever, but she was faithful, reliable, stable, coming out, resourceful in her life, coming to that well, there committed to her family, fulfilling that role, ridiculously faithful. And on top of it, and, and this is the beauty part is just an aside kind of thing, but on top of it, the hospitality that she showed without batting an eye quickly as soon, you know, let's be honest, somebody stops you in the middle of what you've got, she's already walking from home, going down to this well, it's heavy work, it's hot work, and even though she's catching up on the latest news of the town, because that's what would happen, there were no Twitter feeds and no Facebook, Instagram posts going on, so the ladies would come and it was a social thing, they would hear what was happening, what was going on, but she had things to do, right? And she stops and talks to this guy and shows hospitality and then just off the chart. Ridiculous. I'll water all your camels for you on top of it. She, had that been you and I, at most we'd have said, okay, I'll go to town and get another jar here. You can use this jar. Water them yourself. You know, get your servants to water them. You've probably bought jars. Why don't you go get them yourself? I mean, there's all kinds of things that we would have been thinking and she gladly, without hesitation, voluntarily, talk about somebody who is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, hospitable, committed, ridiculous. Here's the thing. She valued character tremendously in her life. If you, those of you that are not married and thinking about marriage, long before you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or who you think about that, you need to value character highly in your life, deeply. People of integrity, commitment, reliability, trustworthiness, honesty, hospitality, care, all of those things need to be a part of your life. In fact, the less they're a part of your life, you getting married is going to accentuate how bad those things are in your life. Two people who have that level of commitment and faithfulness and reliability and trust and all of those are families depending on or all of that. When two people have those and come together, marriage has a good chance of making it. It still has moments where it's tough. But if you are lazy, not dependable, irresponsible, reckless, 
not faithful, not committed, all kinds of things in life, you're starting with a deficit before you even get to that point. So value character, and if whether you ever get married or not, that's really what you should value more than having somebody in your life. You really should value that in your relationship with Christ above all and not hinging your future on Mr. Right or Mrs. Right in your, your life. It really should be that. Now, this man was smart. He not only kind of put out there a little miracle, kind of like, okay, if this is the one, let there be an eclipse right there at that moment. Bam, you know. He was looking for a sign, but it was a smart sign because he knew the woman that he was finding was, going to, was an incredible woman. He was asking for a woman that was absolutely amazing. Had nothing to do with her social feed, had nothing to do with her beauty, had nothing to do with her sense of style. He didn't say, God, if she's the one, let her be the prettiest woman that I've ever laid my eyes on. He said, no, God, let the, the person that would be right, let her be a person of character, of integrity, commitment, who's willing to go and do what needs to be done, whether it's raining or shining, and who goes way above and beyond the call of duty. If this woman will do this for me, a complete stranger, imagine how incredibly blessed a man would be just to, not only just to know her, but be married to her. So he valued commit a, a character in the person he was looking for. I want to challenge you. There's so many people, and I think I think women are more at risk of this than men, but, well, I love him. Almost like you feel like you have to, or you're hijacked, and your heart's going to make you go there, and you're convinced that even though his mom couldn't change him all of these years, you're convinced that you can. Can I just tell you, if mama who loves him in that moment, actually more than you do, couldn't change him these last 15 years, you sure are not going to in the next 15. It's not going to happen. So you should value character not only in your own life, but you should look for character really above most things in the person that you're looking for. In fact, ladies, I'll tell you a secret. If you want to know if this young man is potentially going to, if you're even beginning to think about marriage, you want to know how he's going to treat you later on, go hang out with his family and see how he treats his mom. If he doesn't treat her with respect, if he doesn't treat her with love and care, I don't even care if she's a bit nasty to him at times, but if he doesn't handle that well, congratulations, he's going to treat you the same way in the future too. Examine. Look at his life. Look at what's going on. Men, look and consider young men the same thing with the, the women in your life. What you perceive and discern in a person's heart towards other people is what you are gluing and marrying yourself to. That's why the Bible tells us there is going to be trouble, because none of us are perfect, but really truly value character deeply. So your preparation for life, and mom and dad, your preparation for your kids in getting married, it starts long before they even have met anybody. You should be building character into their heart and into their life of dealing with those things. So we could talk more about it and we don't have time to, but character, value character deeply in your life. Second thing, if you're gonna make the most of your marriage, if it's going to not only just function and survive, but if it's going to be uh, remotely something that is honoring to God and, and is a blessing to you and a blessing to the world. Not only should you value character in your own heart, but the second thing is you need to learn to leave and to cleave. 
Uh, I like the saying it that way better than leave and holding fast, but my, I'm going on the old King James that I memorized years ago. In Genesis chapter 2, 24, verse 24, the Bible says, you know, for this reason a, a man shall leave his father and mother and leave them and cleave to his wife. It means to be hold fast to is what the English Standard Version is. Super glued to, epoxied we might say, welded we might say today. If you're going to make the most of your marriage, You've got to learn to, and be, to leave and to hold deeply and tightly to one another. We don't have time to read the story. I, I really hope you'll read this. Amazing. When you read the rest of chapter 24, after she does this, the guy's like, I can't believe this. Like, I just prayed this, and literally the first person I talked to, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if life happened that fast? You pray something and literally, like, split second? Like, wow, that was amazing. Well, he asked her, he's like, hey, which family are you a part of? And do they have room for my camels tonight? And you got to realize, in an Eastern culture, we're, we're in a Western mindset. Hospitality is everything. If you fear and love God, you're hospitable to people. You know how to show love to people. And she even found out that she was, she's eligible. She's a part of Abraham's family. And absolutely, she, so all the stars are aligning, we might would say. Everything's pointing to, to, uh, to the, her being the one. And he goes and meets mom and dad. And before they sit down and eat, he's like, i got to say something before I eat. And he shares the whole story. How would you like to invite a guest to your family, you know, as a family? And he shares a story. And by the way, your daughters should be marrying a guy over here that you've never met before. I mean, we would be like, what planet are you on? But he shares the story. And these are God-fearing people. And they knew Abraham. You know, there's family connections. And everybody says, God must be in this. So the next morning, he wants, the servant wants to say, I'm done. Let's go back home. Mission check accomplished, you know, check the box. And her parents say, hold on. We want her to hang out for 10 days and have a feast. That's pretty generous, right? I mean, that's like some guy shows up and wants to marry your daughter. I hope you're not ready for her to go overnight. I hope after 10 days you're probably not ready for her to go with them. And the guy's like, no, look, we did the deal last night. No, this is clear. And so dad says, well, let's ask the girl and see what she wants to do. Rebecca says, I'll go with them. So she gets on the camels and takes her ladies with her, and they head off to meet, um, to meet Isaac. Look at the story at this point. In Isaac in verse 62, Isaac had returned. So this is flashing to a different scene. If you're in the movies, you know how fighting scenes will be in one place, and they flash to another, flash to another. That's what's going on. We just went from... Abraham's hometown, now we're back to uh, Palestine. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahoroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Isaac knew what he was doing. He's waiting on those camels. I wonder who he's got. I wonder, wow, oh, how is this going to work? Rebecca lifted up her eyes. Isaac sees the camels coming. She sees Isaac. And when, he saw, when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. You've got to love a woman that can ride a camel. I mean, that's how awesome is that? And he said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, Oh, that's my master. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. He would have been amazed absolutely blown away at her. Then Isaac brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah 
and she became his wife, and he loved her. And then, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. His mom had died previously. Rebecca left home knowing she might not ever see mom and dad again. You thought it was tough to get married, ladies? Wow. No phone calls, no Instagram, no posts, different country. Mom and dad, all they had was a testimony of one guy and a bunch of gifts. And she went. Talk about an adventurous soul in her part. She left home and she held fast to her husband. Three things I want to point out in that. You only do that if you are trusting in a God who is bigger than whoever it is you're marrying, whether you're a man or a woman. You only take that kind of step when you're like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. You are clearly in this. You can't leave home mom and dad and be super glued to somebody else without a deep and abiding faith in a God in heaven who loves you and you know will take care of you and is always with you no matter what. You and I have to leave mom and dad. That means we have to be willing to leave customs and cultures and habits, whether it's squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom or the middle or the toilet paper on backwards or frontwards or how we do things, you have to be willing to say, this is a different world I'm now in. I'm now marrying somebody completely different than me, and I'm leaving all of that, and I'm joining and creating a new life with that person. So many fights and troubles in marriages come because of two people that are not willing to truly leave, and they just want, they want to add somebody into their world. When you say I do, you have left home and a whole lot of stuff and have been willing to glue yourself to somebody completely different than you. And if you don't learn that quickly, you're headed into for a lifetime of trouble. By the way, mom and dad, when your kids get married, leave them alone. Leave them alone. My grandmother made a huge mistake in trying, when my dad married my mom, to tell my mom basically how to show love to her new husband. Here's how he wants his food to be cooked. Here's what he should be done. How do you think, ladies, that went over for her? Not so well. What do you think that did to their relationship? Not very good at all. Give your kids a lot of space. It's okay if they don't come home for Christmas. May it break your heart? Absolutely. But don't you put that on them. They may have in-laws they need to go spend time with. they got to figure that out. I don't care if you've had the them over every Christmas for the last 20, 30 years. It's a new day. They have to create their world on their own. Trust that they're going to not forget you, but you've got to let that all play out. And Otherwise, you are submarining and planning a landmine in their marriage day one that you really don't want to do. Because deep down, you really want them to make it, and you really want them to love each other. And I'll tell you a secret. If you truly let them leave, they don't go that far because they value that and they love you even more for it and they tend to come back. But if you try to hold on too tight, it's a mess in the middle of it. So let them leave. So trust God above all in that. Folks, when you step into that marriage relationship, a deep and abiding trust in Him. Second thing is commitment. She was all in. That's crazy. This was not a blind date. It was a blind marriage. I mean, just she left. And they were committed. When you get married, the divorce word should slip out of your vocabulary. 
It shouldn't be joked about, talked about, seen as option B. It really is not an option. Let me give you hope in it. If two people really know Jesus and are willing to follow Him, every problem is solvable. Every single problem is solvable. Every single situation is, is doable. Um, it really is. But you've got to go into it completely committed. The world tells us there's, oh, you got, oh, there's other fish in the sea. Oh, you married the wrong person. You made a mistake back there. No, you really didn't. You need to work through some stuff, but be committed, completely committed. Third word I want you to know with this leaving and cleaving is calling. Rebecca left her life and her familiarity, and she joined Isaac in his calling. His calling was to be of the patriarchal line, the one through whom God would bring the Savior of the world, Jesus. And God made it very clear, Abraham, I love you, but you got to leave home, and you're going to set up new life here in this world, and your sons are going to live here, and I'm going to call from you the family that's going to ultimately bring salvation and hope and restoration to the world around you. Rebecca left her life and joined Isaac, not just in cleaving and holding to him personally, but she joined him in his calling. Ladies, when you get married, you're joining your husband in his calling of life. Well, what about my calling? Well, you have callings too. But in the biblical scriptural terms, the wife is the helper to the husband, not the other way around. God has designed the ladies to help the husband. Well, that sure sounds to fly in the face of feminism. And wow, that means it sounds like he's superior to me and I'm inferior and I'm not doing that. And I, you're absolutely right. Women are 100% equal completely. You are not in fear in any way, shape, or form. But we make the mistake in our culture thinking that if there is a, a sense of headship or if there is a, a sense of roles, if they're not the identical same, that there is an inferiority and a superiority. And that couldn't be the furthest from the truth. In baseball terms, the pitcher is not inferior or superior to the catcher. They have different roles. In a husband and wife relationship, there are different roles. They are completely equals in that. But God has a calling for both of you, but as a family, the calling comes really in the husband's life. The wife is designed to help. And so Rebecca joined him in that. Men, for you, that means your calling is actually more than your work. If, you're, if you feel like your work is your calling, I'll just say it this way, that's pretty lame. That really is, is, is lame. Um, making stuff, running figures, making enough money to live, that is not a calling that do not make. God wants you guys to invest your life in something that's eternal, that is lasting in value. Your job is not your calling. Your job should support your calling. Your job should not undermine your marriage and should definitely not take place over your wife and your family, which we men often do because we make the mistake of making our job our calling. But your job actually should provide for our, your family and should also help feed the calling that God has on your life. And every one of us should have that. And ladies, you have that too. Let me, let me show you how it works in my life, in my family. So my wife leads, she, we homeschool our kids, and we're, some homeschoolers are rabid homeschoolers. You, 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 you don't love Jesus if you don't homeschool your kids. All right, you probably all have met some of those, and we're not that way at all. Like public school, private school, homeschool, whatever, it's all good. But she leads a local homeschool co-op that meets every other week of about 50 moms. 
by the way, you think you have trouble leading an organization? Lead an organization with 50 women who care about their kids and have lots of opinions? Oh my goodness, that scares me to death. I'd rather lead a church than I would that. So my hat's off to her to do that. She feels called to that. Does she get paid for that? Not a penny. Is that a lot of time? You better believe it is. And have we had lots of conversations about that? Absolutely, because it's time away from family and other stuff. But she does it because she wants to, and it's a blessing, and she feels called to it. So ladies, please hear me. I'm not saying you don't have your own calling or your, 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 all of that kind of stuff, but they all kind of fit together, all right? And I want to challenge you. You leave and you cleave, and you find that calling and that trajectory that God has in your life, and you stay with it together. Third thing, and I'm done. Otherwise, we'd be here all day. Not only do we need, not only do you get married to make the most of your marriage, do you need to value character? You need to leave and glue together and find that that commitment and that trusting in God and finding that direction in life. But the third thing you need to do is you need to deal with your own stuff. Can I just say it that way? You need to deal with your own junk in your life. Let me fast forward a couple of chapters. We fast forward. And this won't take too long. But look with me in, Isaac, in Genesis chapter 26. Look at verse 6. So fast forward their life. We don't have, we get little snapshots in Rebecca and Isaac's life here. We don't have the day in and day out. We don't have the social media feed that we know what they had for dinner last night and what they did for Valentine's Day. But we do know quite a bit in here. Isaac committed himself to her and loved her and was totally all in. And there was a lot of health in this relationship. But everything wasn't perfect and everything wasn't good. Read this little story in verse 6 of Genesis 26. So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he moves to a new area, and the guy saw her. He, his wife really is hot. I mean, she really is drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful. And he moves in a new area, and all the guys are like, whoa, who is this woman in town? And for real, here's what's going on. And look what he says. Oh, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. Oh my goodness, one being dumb, but wow. You're going to tell them you're, that she's your sister? That she's available? You're afraid and you're going to hide behind a lie and hide behind her? That's crazy. He was afraid somebody was going to kill him just so that they could basically take her captive and force her to be, you know, their in, you know, either wife or something much worse. And he hid behind that. Isaac hadn't dealt with his own stuff yet at this time. You know where he learned how to do this? From his daddy. His daddy did it twice. His daddy ended up going because of a famine down to Egypt, and he did the same thing with Sarah. It wasn't a lie because they're all in the family, like there's distant cousins, and, and the word sister meant more than just like my parents, you know, my, my right next to me sister. He didn't lie, but he didn't tell the whole truth, which is a lie. And he had fear. Why did he have fear? Because he didn't trust God to take care of him. Crazy. She trusted God more than he did. She left home and says, I have no clue what idiot I'm about to marry, who I'm going into, and what craziness is I'm stepping into, and I'm going to trust God, I'm going to do it. He goes and moves into one little area, and he's afraid that my wife is so good-looking that these guys are going to kill me. He wasn't dealing with his own junk yet. When you get married, if you make the most of your marriage, deal with your generational sin. All of you have sins that your parents did and your grandparents did. Call them habits that you have picked them up from them. 
Are they responsible for yours? No, but you learned it from them. And you've copied them. And those seeds of destruction are planted deep in your soul. I've had them. My prayer is that God would break them, and I think many of them have been broken. And I'm trusting and telling my kids that I feel like God has done more in my life than He did in my parents. I'm not being prideful. I'm just being dead honest. And I expect you to do better than me. Instead of a downward mobility, because what usually happens in families is each generation attracts successively more sins. And you take a sinful mom and a sinful dad, and now the kids have their sins collected together. And then they get married with somebody else in sin, and it spirals down in a hurry. And instead, the gospel of grace of what God expects is for the gospel and Jesus to come save us, change us, and it's actually an upward spiral that moves this way. And Isaac wasn't dealing with his junk, guys. Deal with your stuff. Now, it's amazing because we, don't, we won't read it, but the rest of 26, the king of that country, in a moment when Isaac and Rebekah thought they were alone, he watched them, and he saw them playing and laughing together. And all of a sudden, it hits them. Oh, my goodness, they're married. I see the love in their relationship, and just incredible that middle-aged or whatever, just enjoying life together. But he confronts them with Isaac. You realize after you get married, God is going to confront you with some of your sins and generational sins. By the way, congratulations. If you start out with really good character, consider marriage your finishing school in character. God is putting you with somebody that he's going to use in your life to help you realize that you're not nearly as good as you think you are. And God wants to deal with some of those issues in your life. So some of the problems that surface, we think they're awful, and we think that, oh, my life and marriage is falling apart. Actually, it's God just allowing it to happen to put his finger on things in your life, to put on things in your spouse's life, because he loves you, and he doesn't want you to continue on living in that junk and in those fear or doubt or lack of trust. But he's surfacing all of that, and it's painful. It's much like a frost heave, and when we get a frost heave on the road, Traffic shuts down. I mean, everything around. It's expensive to fix. It's costly. It's sweaty. It's hot, hard work. But it's necessary. Because if you don't dig down and get that rock and whatever's causing all the problem, guess what keeps happening year after year after year after year? Who is it? I think Gary this week told me, you got, you got a flat tire, right? It's Friday night, Gary. You hit a pothole. And you pulled into the station to get that fixed, and there was a guy in there getting his tire fixed from the same pothole. How often in our lives we keep hitting the same pothole over and over and over and over and over and over again. And God's like, guys, I really want to dig that out, and I'll do it if you let me. It is going to be painful, it's going to be sweaty, and it's going to be hard. So deal with your own stuff. So I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship. If you're married, hopefully there's something in here for you to grab. If you're not married, your hope is not finding a Mr. or Mrs. Right. Be content where you are. Value character in your relationship with God and allow God to work in your life. Don't hinge your, don't put, don't make some other person your God to where your whole hope and source of security and value and happiness is in that person you got to find that stuff in God first. If you don't find it in God first, you marrying somebody, your life is going to be a disaster because they're going to let you down and you're going to be setting them up for a fall because they can never live up to that and it'll be a mess. So if you're single, 
Be content with where you are and put that focus on your life before a holy God that you love and that, you take, that takes care of you. Value character in who you marry. Leave and cleave and allow anything to come between you, whether it's money, in-laws, or anything else. Join one another, trusting God and pursuing that calling and a commitment and deal with your own junk. Don't try to fix the other person. And our whole Love and Respect series is going to be talking about that. But deal with your stuff. Even if you have a good marriage, you still got some baggage in there that you need to deal with. Deal with it. As our team comes up, I'm going to pray. And this will be our time to just kind of respond to what God's speaking to you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, I thank you that that's not just something that we experience personally in our life, but we can have families that are saved and redemption and reconciliation, and restoration, powerful truths as people come together and you healing us from our junk and our past. Lord, I know that I speak in just, I don't know most people's stories, Lord. I don't know where, I really only know where Susan and I are. But Lord, I know in a, a group this size that there are people here struggling hard and wondering if they're going to make it or not. Lord, I pray that you would help them, no matter how many times they've prayed, to truly to trust you one more time. God, you seem to be a God who does not answer very often that quick on the moment, just like this man did in this passage. But you answer in time after much pain and travail. You're so patient with us, but you're also in, enduring. So Lord, I pray for hands that would not fail. I pray for strength of heart, and Lord, would you answer those prayers no matter how long ago they were and how desperate they were, no matter how hopeless the situation is. Lord, I pray for your grace to be flowing in lives. I pray for the series that we're walking through. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst that maybe have just taken one another for granted and, and maybe just have allowed things to be a little uh, comfortable and have settled. Lord, would you help them to warm their relationship to one another and before you. Lord, help us to really look back, even in our life, to truly cleave and hold to one another in intimacy and in closeness, no barriers, no walls. Father, things that we've all said to one another, that we've done that are painful and hurtful and put up fences and walls and barricades. God, would you thaw those? Would you allow each of us to forgive and for us to be aware of what we have done and to begin to dismantle those things. Lord, would you work in our relationships, I pray. And for those who aren't married, would you help them to learn from the mistakes of mom and dad, to learn from the good things that we see in Scripture, and help them to be prepared and to be wise as they step into that world. Father, I lift us to you as a people. We need you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand? I don't know how God has spoken to you. But whatever is bouncing around your head or your heart this morning, would you reflect on that? Make that a commitment, a prayer to, to God in heaven between you and Him. And if there's something that you sense you need to do, commit to do it. Don't do less. Don't do more. Do that. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.